0: He's involved in a number of businesses.
1: He's a great role model. Telling it like it is, giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis.
2: This is John Katzimatides, Cats at Night, the number one show at 5 o'clock. And with us in the studio is Judge Richard Weinberg and uh, Ed Cox, uh, uh, 10 years GOP chairman, uh, son-in-law of President Nixon. What else can I say, Ed? He's one smart guy. One smart guy. One smart guy. He knows knows a lot
3: about China, the financial markets. Well, he traveled to China many a times, and
2: he knows what the heck is going on in China. He's an expert. Uh, And Lydia, I understand we have some breaking news.
1: Breaking news, WABC.
3: And that breaking news coming from John Solomon, intrepid investigative reporter of JustTheNews.com. John Solomon, what do you have for us?
4: Yeah, Listen, just a few minutes ago, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the main health safety agency in America, announced that they have enough data to merit an investigation into the potential risk of stroke for some recipients of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, These are what are known as signals. We've been hearing a lot more in uh, peer-reviewed research in the last few weeks that people are seeing signals in the data. This is the first acknowledgement by uh, the CDC that there is a potential signal, a safety concern, for people uh, having ischemic stroke, so minor strokes at the age of 65 or older, they're looking into it. It's a preliminary signal. They need to do some investigation. But for most of the last two and a half years, we've been told, don't worry about it. This is the first time the CDC said, you know what, we've got enough data. we got to take a pause and look at this. Does not mean they're going to stop administering the vaccine or tell people to stop using the vaccine but a significant moment in the safety evaluation of these vaccines. Remember, these were all experimental vaccines when they got started. We had to do them under a, an emergency use agreement. Now people are getting more and more data from them, and we're being able to see some of the potential risks. I think we're going to learn a lot more in 2023 about these sort of issues.
2: Well, I guess that is the reason uh, the, they, the government went to the courts originally. That's uh, to, uh, to, to get 75 years uh, of non-disclosure on side effects and i remember that that moment i i thought something smelled mm-hmm. because i've lost many of friends mm-hmm. the blood clots and heart attacks young people mm-hmm. so there is an effect so the question we're going to ask our doctors now in the future is what do we have what do we do to to, to, to help mitigate mitigate them. that effect? those Thank you
4: for the words. <laughs> yeah, listen, I think we've always had the idea that in science and in medicine, informed consent is important. And you can't have informed consent if you don't have the information to make that consent. There's been a lot of difficulty in getting information out about how the vaccines were produced, what sort of uh, signals or safety data there is. A lot of the long term proponents of vaccines, by the way, proponents of vaccine concerned about the way the CDC, the FDA has handled this. This is the first, I don't know if it's right to call it a crack in the wall, but this is the first glimpse that CDC realizes it's got to answer these questions. It has to look at the data that private medical researchers have been writing about for about four to six months now. And if it isn't a cause, if all the things that you just saw about uh, your friends who've died, and I know the same thing, very young people having strokes and blood clots, um, if it isn't from the vaccine, they need to help us understand why this rash and, and get us educated. And if it is
2: the vaccine, they got to make some mitigation for it. Uh, but this is John a Solomon. Minimal... Some some high level doctors have personally said to me, I'm not going to name the names. Don't yeah. take the booster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The benefit doesn't doctors, outweigh
4: I'm the sure risk. Unless you're in a high-risk category for the, uh, the COVID, you shouldn't take the booster, the Bible and booster. A lot of people are saying that. And um, we're going to learn a lot more, but this starts a very important process of investigation and transparency, something that we haven't had a lot of in the early stages of this very big moment. Some other interesting news, not all of it uh, great news, but uh, if, if there was a Debbie Downer on Friday, uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen was sort of the uh, the uh, Eeyore of the day. She told us first that, hey, Congress, You're going to hit the debt limit next week. That's not a good sign when you're running out of money. Your credit card's sold. Now, we really won't run out of money until the spring. But Yellen's warning that the actual technical moment is this next week is designed to put pressure on Democrats to try to, excuse me, Republicans to make a deal on the House, not and allow spending to go on. I expect you're going to find a very different response from this congressional House. Then prior ones, they're going to hold the line. They're going to negotiate. They're not going to be driven by panic or alarmism. But Secretary Yellen hit the bell today. And while she was doing that, she also said she has growing concerns about a global recession. So this was a woman that said uh, uh, in, uh, inflation is transitory. And then I guess I got it wrong. And then she said, I'm not really that worried about a recession. Now she seems to be expressing some concern about the recession. Two pieces of news from the Treasury Secretary getting a lot of attention. And then this one, I'm sure, is not going to go over well with people who aren't fans of President Trump. Uh, Kevin McCarthy says the GOP-controlled House is considering expunging the record of the Trump impeachment trials. Uh, Those who like President Trump are going to like that a lot. Those who don't probably have some strong feelings as well. Uh, But you can really tell there's a new sheriff in town. There have been really several New ideas, new votes on legislation. You can tell Republicans are firmly in control of the House now.
3: John Solomon, I wanted to pivot to the Biden documents. The Department of Justice now confirming that third batch. And what's interesting yep. is that U Penn is denying Chinese money that they received over fifty four million dollars of Chinese money to the yep. Penn Biden Center. More than half yep. of that money was from anonymous donors. What have you learned? What have you heard? I mean, and why would UPenn be denying people this?
4: Misstate it, right. Some people must it. Uh, the I've never reported, nor has anyone I know, reported that the Chinese money went to the UPenn Center. It went to the University of Pennsylvania it, to its main charity fundraising. And then those proceeds are used to fund things like the UPenn Center or the. So salary. it's just
2: a technicality. Just a technicality yeah. portion yeah. is wrong. The fact is the university got the money. They did in large numbers, one of the larger recipients
4: of uh, China money in the last decade. But here is the interesting patterns. And we had a really great story yesterday. And immediately after we broke that story, James Comer announced he was as the House Oversight Committee chairman. He's expanding his investigation. Into this. this money flows in. There's $67.6 million that comes into UPenn from China sources, either grants or contracts between 2013 and 2019. Nearly all of it, two thirds of it. Forty seven point seven million comes in the two and a half years that Joe Biden is working at the UPenn Center and uh, at the at the Ben Biden Center and being an adjunct professor, getting nine hundred thousand dollars for a couple of years of work. That's a pretty hefty salary for a light uh, education schedule right after that happens. And uh, Joe Biden is elected president. The top two officials of UPenn, the people who gave him his job, raised that money from China. They get ambassadorships from President Biden, so they get rewarded for giving him a job, certainly the impression of that is, and for their work. And then as Joe Biden is into his first year as president, uh, all of a sudden the University of Pennsylvania and its faculty puts pressure on the biden Justice Department to shut down the primary FBI counter espionage program that's trying to root out spies who come into the United States under the cover of U.S. academia. It's a very successful program. Fact, oh, my go God. The
5: Department tonight, wow.
4: They brag about all the things they stop by. Well, guess what? Two weeks, just two weeks after the faculty of UPenn, the former employee of President Biden, raised this concern in an open letter to Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland turned around, sided with the university, shut down the program. Against the wishes of the FBI director, who had just given a speech saying this is a big problem. Just late January 2022, the FBI director says China is a growing threat. Espionage to academia. Big deal. Three weeks later, only two weeks after UPenn puts the letter out, Merrick Garland shuts down that program. And it's very interesting. You can go to Merrick Garland's website, the JusticeDepartment.gov website. You will see that they brag about how important this program was, but it's been shut down two weeks after UPenn put that letter out.
2: All I can say, oh, my God, you know, it's terrible.
3: Is it is it true that Hunter Biden owns the home where those classified documents were found in the garage where their Corvette was located? And I also was hearing reports that there were even, you know, repairmen in there like working on the Corvette. And here was this box of classified mm-hmm. documents for anybody to access. Is that any of that? Is that true?
4: We have not found any House deed records that would suggest that Hunter Biden is the owner of that home. It does look that Joe Biden is the owner of that home. Uh, there also has been many times where we've been able to confirm that Hunter Biden's been at that home because of photos and ops or uh, pictures that have been there. So Hunter Biden had access to the home. Listen, it doesn't really matter whether Hunter Biden owns it or not uh, or whether Hunter Biden had access Storing classified documents in a garage is not a really good idea. You know, Amazon drivers like to open up your garage and put packages in. A garage is not a secure place. It's not the sort of place that classified documents were in. And I want to point two words out that uh, the uh, attorney general said when he announced it. He acknowledged that the location where Joe Biden's documents were found were not authorized to possess or hold or store um, uh, classified information. In other words, in layman's terms, it was illegal for those donations to be there. That was a very clear declaration from the Attorney General. No amount of spin or obfuscation from the Biden White House is going to change that. Those documents shouldn't have been at the House or at the U Penn Center.
3: Well, thank you so much, John Solomon of JustTheNews.com. We look forward to breaking more news with you. Thank you, sir.
2: And have a nice weekend. Take care. Wow, that was some interview,
6: Lydia.
3: That is – how are you surprised, Ed Cox, Not about all the Chinese surprise. money coming there to UPenn and kind of their it, kind it's of enabling how it's – more UPenn,
6: these Confucius uh, society groups that are, in, have infiltrated in many the of our universities. In the last
2: five minutes, ten minutes uh, – uh,
3: Sebastian Gorka actually tweeted out – he put out a document saying that he has proof that Hunter Biden did indeed own the home where those classified documents were located in the garage. He had rented it previously – and so, but then he but ended up owning. It. He
6: had the money. Yeah. He, he had
3: the money, right? He, got he got got it to China
7: because he got the money from China. Yeah. He got the money from sure. China. But, but the fact, the fact that matters it doesn't matter whether he rented it. Does, does, China, China, own, their, does Biden, China own Marshall, the United States of Ukraine. America?
2: Well, they certainly own some of the important functionaries of
7: this government. Now,
2: the other part, portion that China, uh, objected because the FBI wanted to check on the students coming into. Uh, to, uh, to University of Pennsylvania. University of Pennsylvania objected, and then had a president happened? Biden. Biden notified or, or sent a letter to
3: Christopher to, Ray. To, no, Christopher, Christopher Ray and the Garland, General. right? Garland, Mayor Garland, right? And what happened? Uh, uh, and they squashed it.
2: And Christopher and Garland squashed it. And Christopher Ray says this is crazy because we got to check these people coming in. Listen. What do, you, what do you think is happening here? We're compromised.
7: We're, we're compromised. We are screwed. And every time you try to shed sh- some light on at it,
3: they close it down. We're under attack at the border, fentanyl. We're under attack in the academically because they're coming into our universities, getting all the information. They're they're hacking possibly our FAA. Or I'm sorry. I, I don't buy that it just suddenly everything collapsed. The FAA and the, the jets and all the planes and all that stuff happens. I don't buy it. The
7: Southwest was a test run. And then the other day was a further test run. What's next? You don't They're
3: believe I, I What I think experience it, I think does he have with transportation besides riding mean, a bike and putting on a helmet?
7: I think it's pathetic that he's a transportation. I actually think it's even more pathetic that, once again, a Democratic Party is floating a lightweight as a potential presidential candidate.
3: Ed Cox, you're an expert when it comes to China. How yeah. nefarious are they, the CCP?
6: Actually, that issue was made absolutely clear. Near the end of the Trump administration It's organized by Secretary of State Pompeo. He gave a big speech at the Nixon Foundation. Director Ray of the FBI gave a big speech. Uh, AG Attorney General Barr gave a big speech about the different areas of the, where the Chinese were having a real impact on our country. We didn't know about it. It was, it was, uh, orchestrated and they raised it, but now the Biden administration has just put it on, uh, swept it under the rug.
7: Yeah. I, Attorney General Barr has been really that issue, both when he was Attorney General and subsequent, that this is a real threat to this country's survival, the China threat. And now the latest gambit by the left-wing Democrats in the House of Representatives is saying that we're xenophobic and we're racist against the Chinese. They have a name for it just to shut you down from exploring and getting transparency on what the Chinese are doing.
2: Well, let's take a break and when we come back, we're going to have Larry Kudlow on and he's going to tell us what the heck is going on in the economy.
7: A common-sense
2: recap
1: of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Cats at Night on 77 WABC.
2: Well, that's right. on, that, that's <laughs> on, it's Friday and Larry Kudlow is with us. And that is uh, Larry's uh, theme song. Uh, Larry Kudlow, you're one of the leading uh, economists in the country? Where the heck are we? Uh,
1: I hope, uh, was Governor Patterson there when you played that? No, no. no. Governor no. Patterson he was
3: hiding. Was sick. He was
2: hiding. He was, he hiding. was, he, he was sick. <laughs> uh,
1: well, it was a very interesting week. Uh, I will say one thing. Um, politics often affects the economy and economic policy. So I'll just give you my personal opinion. This uh, classified document scandal uh, that biden finds himself in which is deepening and will continue to get deeper makes it more likely much more likely that the republican house will be able to do what it wants to do to cut spending which is i think the number one policy priority we have the democrats the biden democrats are politically very wounded from this scandal and this will help kevin mccarthy and his gang to really slash spending, which is anti-inflationary and pro-growth. There'll be no tax hikes. They'll even be able to curb some of the regulations. Maybe they'll even get into a much better policy to open the spigots for oil and gas. That's the way I see this. Others may disagree. I appreciate that. But sometimes politics has a lot to do with the economy. I think this is one of those times.
6: Larry, when... uh, uh, uh... Just taking a look at the when Biden and the Democrats control all of Washington, nothing about the deficit and it's a huge deficit one point four trillion going forward plus all the stimulus they that they've dumped in, isn't the McCarthy House now going to bring put the spotlight on that?
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. And the the key point here is you know there's a lot of talk about debt limitation and shutting down the government. That's just politics. I mean, a wounded Democratic Party gives McCarthy and company tremendous additional power and they will use that power and the public will line up with them. It's very, very important here. Look, everybody's talking about a recession. All right. Maybe there's a recession. Maybe there's not a recession. So far, I don't see it now. The money supply has come crashing down. The curve is inverted. Uh, Leading indicators are way down. So there's some concerns. But the economy is more resilient. My point here is on the economy, if people see that Washington is doing something good, all right, that could help confidence quite a bit. That doesn't mean there won't be a slump, but it might be a, a lighter slump, an easier slump. I mean, the stock market. Uh, which bottomed in uh, I think mid October. The stock market is telling you, in some sense, that we had a slump at the beginning of last year, the first five or six months. But the stock market, I think, is not suggesting yet that there's a recession impending. And I think the confidence factor is very important. We had consumer sentiment came out today; and actually improved some. Uh, but again. The politics are not good for the Democrats. The politics are improving for the Republicans. Better politics means better chance of real budgetary restraint for a change. So we won't keep mounting these gigantic deficits.
6: So Yellen has now raised the uh, the uh, deficit seal the uh, the, the ceiling. debt ceiling. How's that going to play into all that? No, uh, she didn't. She didn't. She didn't raise it. No, what, she did. No, no. she, she raised the issue. She raised the, the issue. She said. Yeah. By she said June, I have to deal we, with we it by run, next week. Yeah, we run out of. Uh, uh, we run into that ceiling absolutely in June.
1: Yeah. Well, there's no absolute here. The 34.1 trillion dollar limit uh, and runs out officially uh, in a, in a week, Thursday, January 19th. Um, it, it doesn't matter because they have plenty of spare cash in a number of retirement accounts that they will use temporarily, I don't think you're going to get, uh, a uh you know, a debt issue until sometime in the summer, and then when it's all said and done, they replace the cash that they borrowed from various yeah. retirement accounts. You know, uh, no, Ed you know, Cox,
2: again, you, you talk about uh, uh, the, the debt. I will tell you my opinion, 350 million Americans in the country, 100%. 320 million, don't give a damn. I agree with you. Okay, so you want to win an election, right? Who are you? Who are you? You know, singing to the 30 million that care or the 320 million that don't give a damn. Larry, how do you feel?
1: Well, look, I think John, (laughs) that's a value judgment. Polls do show a big concern about debt and deficits
6: and spending. By the way, I mean, this was a Tea Party issue. Well, their big issue in the Tea Party yeah. in 2010 was I mean, the deficits I and the debt.
2: Well, you know what happened to the Tea Party? They died. You all right, all right, you're proving it's point. Exactly. They, they, they resurrected uh, themselves
6: last week, don't you remember? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, but, they did pretty well in 2010. Yeah, 10% yeah, of forget. them. The, the question is, do you don't, make that into an issue?
1: Don't forget in 2010, actually in 2011. we bring
2: up abortion too, <laughs> then we'll lose the election yeah. for sure. <laughs>
1: But don't forget, in 2010 and 2011, that Tea Party Congress, that was the last time we saw a good budget-cutting deal and that the spending caps were enforced. Unfortunately, it didn't last. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think heavy government spending and heavy government debt is an issue. I don't agree that 320 million people – I mean, polls have shown – That is an ongoing major concern. And if nothing else, there's this question of confidence. You know, you can't run a railroad that's bankrupt. And I think a lot of people have a loss of confidence and concern about the future uh, because they don't understand the direction that Washington is steering them in. So I'm just saying these things are all related. The document scandal plays into the new Republican House. It puts the Democrats back on their heels. It gives Republicans a lot of momentum to do some very good things. And I like what I see. I mean, I think they're going to have regular budget order for a change. I don't think you're going to get another 4,000-page omnibus bill. And I know they only have the House, but the House is very powerful. And they're going to, you know, Biden's going to have a lot of trouble now. And the consumer is going to have a lot of trouble now and they're going to have to deal with McCarthy. And I like that a lot. I like the whole thing a lot. And I'm not surprised the stock market keeps inching higher. I think that's very important.
3: Larry Kudlow, as a member of the media yourself, what do you think about the transparency that is clearly lacking by the Biden administration, the fact that they sat on this for months and obviously they were trying to keep it under wraps right before the midterms and and of course they criticized Trump all the way, all, all full, fully knowing that there was this uh, treasure trove of classified documents in Biden's own garage. I mean, the hypocrisy—do they? It, it knows no bounds, as the cliche goes.
1: I'm still trying to figure out what these personal lawyers were doing in the garage.
7: <laughs> that's exactly right. Why do you dispatch <laughs> how, lawyers how did to that clean up start? documents? Yeah, where did yeah, that even come th- from? That's exactly the point. I,
1: well, Larry's right. I, You You know, I I, I'm still trying to hear. Did they replace the cleaning ladies? Were they there to shine the Corvette? What
3: were they doing? It's a bad job market for lawyers. A repair guy came to fill the tire. I guess so.
1: I guess so. Somebody. I mean, the the glove compartment was locked. I mean, come on. No, uh, Lydia. This this story is going to get worse. And by the way, we're going to discover more documents. Trust me on this. And don't you want to know what's
7: inside those documents, Larry?
1: Well, you know, there's a part of me that uh, I mean, look, I still have my uh, national security clearance uh, as a former assistant to the president. But no, I don't really want I don't want anybody to know those documents should have gone to the National Archives.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: A retiring vice president does not walk out of the White House with a barrel full of classified documents and then start taking them to places. There's only one place they're supposed to go by law, and that is the National Archives. Now, if you want to read the documents because he still has his security clearance, you go to the National Archives. That's the way. I mean, I had Mike Pence on our show, obviously a former vice president, and we talked about this at some length. And uh, Mr. Biden broke the law. Now, I'm not going to make a federal case out of that. He's not going to jail. But I will say this. Trump should have been treated equally and he wasn't. Okay, I'm sure Trump has a smile on his face now because their case against him completely blows up.
6: But but I mean, not I'll leave
1: that. Uh, not I'll even leave equally,
6: uh, Larry. He's got rights on the presidential records act. The president Well, does. no. Uh, uh, to president, to have, to you're talking about the
7: search president. warrants and the FBI going in. Yep. That's what
1: Larry's president. talking about. Yep. All right. No, right. Presidents are allowed to be classified. Right. Vice
2: presidents are not. They're not right. Well, Larry we're, we're going to be listening to you Saturday morning between ten o'clock and and one o'clock in the afternoon on number one show, Larry Kudlow uh, show on uh, WABC Radio dot com and W seven seventy on your dial and on your iPhone seventy seven WABC. I'll be listening to you at ten o'clock tomorrow. Thanks, John. Thank you. And let's take a break. And now we're going to be going to Lou Dobbs. He hear, hear what the market did today. Well, we're back. This is cat's uh, uh, at Night, John Kassimatidis, uh, Judge Weinberg, Ed Cox, Lydia Serrani, and um, Albany. Albany, what the heck is going on in Albany? Well, one of the most knowledgeable people I know, a uh, former uh, secretary to uh, Governor Cuomo, and not a secretary, secretary is a technical word, but it's uh, very number very one. Numero Uno. Uno. Numero chief of staff almost even bigger even than the chief of staff. staff. Uh, we have the Rosa with us. Melissa, tell us what the heck is going on. Uh, I understand now that there's uh, uh, that uh, Governor Hochul has put her foot down.
0: Um, it's good to be with you, John. Yes, she. Well, she's trying to put her foot down. I mean. Those of us who have sort of gone through this process and are are watching this play out, I think are all sort of scratching our heads. She now seems to be very focused on the floor vote, which is obviously necessary if you're going to get your appointee or your nominee seated, but it's not sufficient. You need the votes. So you know, she does not have the votes right now. I got off the phone shortly before this interview with someone very high up in the Senate, and she does not have the votes On the floor. Happens, on the
6: floor, she on, doesn't on have the, the votes.
0: On the floor, she doesn't have the votes. Even, even with the Republicans? With, if you include all the Republicans. What, what's happening now, which is an interesting dynamic, which is, is not surprising for people who have been in government, is she is challenging Andrea Stewart-Cousins, who is the Senate majority leader. The Senate Majority Leader had said this is not going to end the way that she wants. It's not going to get out of committee. They stacked the committee with, you know, no votes to ensure it doesn't get out of committee. And now, you know, she's saying she's potentially going to bring a lawsuit and she's going to try to force it to the floor. Now, Putting aside whether or not she would win that lawsuit, which is not a slam dunk, I would say it's a, probably a 50-50 shot, but it, it's pretty fraught. Well, its
2: with case. this current court, without, without having an additional extreme left person on the court, she better try the court case now because she'll never, if the extreme left wing goes on that court as the... As the uh, well, what we have, Melissa,
7: it's Richard Weinberg. What you have here is they've packed the committee so they can pack the court. And that's, that's the, right.
6: and that's the problem. By the the, the atmospherics of this are terrible if you're, if she no. goes into court. You're stacking the committee. So this means the leadership of the Senate decides whether or not her nomination goes through as opposed to even the committee Or the, or the, or the Florida Senate. And it's advice and consent of the Senate. Right, and Chief Judge, Chief
7: Judge Jonathan Lippmann has said very, very clearly that he believes when, when you say the Senate, under the state constitution, you mean the entire
3: it's Senate. The full the, Senate. Right.
0: Yep, that's right. And that's and that's what Jonathan Littman has said and I've looked at it and I think it's a fair question. And I've looked at some case law and there's some case law that supports that position and is helpful. There's some case law where it's much more murky. And the thing about the state constitution, which is very clear, is that the, the houses get to operate on rules decided by the houses. And traditionally, the Court of Appeals have sort of resisted getting involved in internal decision making in the houses it's really a a separation of powers issue and a couple of years ago 10 years ago i guess now more than that when there was a coup in the senate when the republicans joined with some renegade democrats and took back the senate even though numerically democrats controlled the senate the democrats tried to take them to court and tried to you know prosecute a couple of different legal arguments and they they didn't intervene and they said we can't get involved because the rules of the senate are set by the senate
6: But, but, but this is a special constitutional provision that says specifically that it's the advice and consent. So all the little I back and forth. Yeah. I think yeah. it's distinguishable. I think it's distinguishable.
3: Broad picture. They're trying to politicize even the judicial branch of our government. Well, that it should be not even bipartisan. It should be nonpartisan. That is extremely make, dangerous. That's
7: exactly right. They're trying to take. A non-political entity, the judiciary, and politicize it so we'll rubber stamp the left-wing agenda. And this guy,
3: Judge LaSalle, if you look at the criticisms towards some their argument, it's just procedural. He just followed the law. That's why they don't want it because he followed the law. So they want to put in somebody that's not going to follow the law simply because of their radical left agenda.
0: Is is, Am I I making it clear, you think? No, I don't disagree with you, Lydia. And I've said before on the show, I've read the decisions and I agree with there's been some pretty smart analysis pieces out there on the fact that, you know, this entire thing has been twisted around and and they've tried to, you know, say that he's anti-choice and anti-union based on two different decisions in, in cases where really he was just upholding the law. But put all of that aside for a second. Hochul is trying to force a floor vote, but what's happening is... Senate Democrats are now starting to view this as not about the judge and more about the institution. And so what you're starting to see behind the scenes is that Democrats who maybe were on the fence and would consider LaSalle are now going to get pressured to stand with their leaders. So they're going to get pressured to stand with Andrew Stewart-Cousins and Mike Gianaris, who are the number one and number two in the Senate, who I think now are viewing this more as a power struggle between the institutions and saying, you don't get to decide to tell me how to run my house. And so it's it's becoming, and I think you're going to see this in the next couple of weeks as this continues to play out. It's almost going to become like LaSalle becomes sort of, you know, collateral in what's going to end up being an institutional fight between the governor and the Senate. And with every passing day, they're getting more dug in. So it feels to me like she's playing checkers and they're playing sort of three-dimensional chess and, Every time, you know, she tries to make a move, it's like they've already thought that through and gotten three steps in but, front of her. So but, I really just don't see how this ends well.
6: Uh, Melissa, Deputy uh, Leader Generis, uh, yes. he did an extreme gerrymander and lost that one. They're yes. doing the same thing by stacking the Judiciary Committee the way they did. The atmospherics of that are terrible for him. And again, he's going to an extreme, and that's going to hurt him In the end, and I'm not sure that even some of the Democrats, particularly in certain areas which they have won, which are typical Republican areas, are going to want to go along with them on this.
7: But if you follow Melissa's reasoning, and I think it's very well said, then becomes we want to talk about the politics of of the institutions. It then becomes in the interest of the Democrats who want to kill this nomination to put it on the floor to make an institutional fight rather than the (laughs)
2: common sense, moderate um, uh, New Yorkers will We're never down win down. another court case in New York. If
0: no, I, John, it, I mean, if... listen, you, I, think the, I think you're right. the The, the thing about this fight that's so crazy is that I don't think real people are paying attention, and actually the stakes are incredibly high. Right now you have a legislature that's tilted so far to the left, that they will pass anything. That's Things exactly that are right. very clearly not constitutional. And so you need a bench of very well qualified, smart judges who understand the law and who are willing to uphold it regardless of politics. And so I see in the future people bringing a ton of court cases challenging legislation that gets passed with this legislature and signed with this governor, you know, because People are pressured by far left interest groups. And the only way that the, the line is going to be held is if it goes to the court and the court has the right people there. To
7: Which is why it. they're trying to pack the court.
0: Yes, I agree with you. And so but uh, but I'm just saying and I agree with the merits on so much of what you guys are saying. And I think, you know, obviously, when I served under Governor Cuomo, we approached it in a much different way. You know, we put Garcia on the bench. We really wanted balance. But. This is not, and for your listeners, Garcia is a Republican, but for, you know, this is not where the body is right now. And, like, you're trying to have a rational discussion with irrational people. This isn't about professional government. This is about politics. And it's now turning into, excuse my language, a pissing match between the governor and the Senate Democrats, and I think the Senate Democrats are going to win.
3: Melissa DeRosa, I yeah, I, I agree with you one hundred percent. no Melissa derosa, on a, as a whole, I know this would hurt Governor Holkel tremendously if she loses this pissing match, if she loses this power struggle. But what does this do for all common sense Democrats? Because they'll be afraid to speak up and say, hey, this is crazy. We're going way too radical left. I mean, we already have that problem here in New York. Obviously, you experienced that firsthand. Janet Fiore experienced it firsthand. So how does this hurt the common sense Democrat, the moderate, which makes up most of New York?
0: Look, I think at some point the pendulum is going to swing back. And I think that the people that are going to end up benefiting, frankly, is the Republican Party. If the Republican Party gets its act together and stops being, you know, Trumpy, total far right nutjobs. I think if the Republican finds its moderate voice, the Republican Party finds its moderate voice. I think when you have one party rule in a sustained period of time like we're seeing right now and where things really tilt to a point where the pendulum swings, I think it's going to swing back. And I think you started to see that in Long Island. I think you started to see that in pockets of, you know, New York city that have always been democratic, that went Republican this time around. And so, you know, it's like I see that sort of bigger field playing out. And I think it's only kind of a matter of time, but everyone. How much time gets done
7: until that pendulum swings? How back? many
3: people leave New York?
7: But, you but know, that's
0: a good that's a good question. And I, I think that the court is incredibly important. I think that Justice LaSalle is not, a you know, anti-choice. He is not anti-union. But, again, that's a rational discussion with irrational actors. That's not the conversation that's being had right now. This is a political fight, and Hopal has dug in, in a way, you know, without doing any of the politics, without neutralizing labor, without doing a whip count, without making sure she has the vote. She's sort of flailing around and making it worse for herself. And so I just think that now it's going to become, you know, who blinks and the legislature is not going to blink.
6: Melissa, I would differ. I think all you need is 11 rational reports. The Democratic senators to combine with the twenty-one Republicans, and she wins. You know what the you know what the Senate and the legislature do? Then they'll change the Constitution, and they could do it in in two. And years. if
2: you if you have their own justice or, uh, their own judge, exactly, that's right. No, they can get anything done. That's
7: right.
6: They,
2: they change. change the they can law.
0: Tell I, just, I don't see a scenario where Andrea, where the leaders put it on the floor. And allow eleven breakaway members to join with the entire. Republican I think the block. people.
2: I think the people who stayed in New York should yell, scream, and holler that the complete Senate should have the right to vote.
0: Yep. And uh, but I'm saying, John, I and I don't. You know, constitutionally, I think there's a good argument that that is their responsibility. But I just think that even if it gets to the floor, I don't know that Hochul pulls it off. I think that the Senate will close ranks. I think that it will become a fight of the the legislature versus her, and she'll end up going down on the floor, which will be an even bigger embarrassment and show her to be even weaker than she's already perceived.
2: Like to be. I said, I ra- I'd rather die that way than than die a slow death over four years. And I'd much rather yep. see it go to the full floor.
7: Everybody has to vote right. on the record rather than being I suppressed. Still, suppressed in that tradition. I still don't committee. understand
3: why she didn't use the pay raises. Nothing motivates people was, more than that money. That was a
6: big mistake. That was a big yeah, mistake.
3: She yeah. doesn't know how to she play weird. chess. She doesn't have playing checkers. Yeah, exactly. You know, she's she's learning.
0: playing checkers. They're playing chess. And I you know, I don't know what her staff is doing. You know, it's like you have these responsibilities and these senior roles to do these politics, to line up these votes, and it just feels like they, they are flailing. And so, you know, I, they're doing her a disservice. It's clear she doesn't know what she's doing, and it's going to be a detriment to the court overall if they don't get it together fast. And right now it doesn't seem That's they nice are. That's to New York.
2: And ultimately the state of New York. And us. Because there were yeah. be no countervailing force yeah. against the crazy left. Melissa DeRosa, yeah. thank you. Have a great weekend. Thank you for coming on and and telling the uh, people of the state of New York how it is. Thank you.
0: Talk soon, guys. Thank, yeah. you. thank you.
2: Good to talk, Melissa. Now we have uh, our next uh, guest uh, is a good friend of Judge Richard Weinberg's, and uh, it's Judge uh, George uh, Grasso. George Grasso, and I'm going to let the judge introduce uh, the judge.
7: <laughs>
2: George, George, welcome
7: to Cats at Night. It's wonderful to have you here.
5: So wonderful to be here, Judge Weinberg.
7: Well, Judge Grasso, you are truly one of the best judges I've ever known. You were the first deputy police commissioner of New York. Before that, you are the general counsel of the police department. You're a law and order guy. You're a public safety guy. You're smart. You're a great administrative judge. People who know you know that you're a man of ability and integrity. So let me ask you, my friend, why would you – How many result- more adjectives Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hold on. But let me ask you this because I love George Grassoff. Why, George, would you give up the Supreme Court of the State of New York to run for DA? What's motivating you?
5: Well, well, well. I, I, before I jump into that, you, you, you left out one, of, maybe my most important job in my portfolio. I was a beat cop. I was a beat That's cop right. in, I was a beat cop in Queens, and while I was in, while I was going to law school, uh, very proud of that in my background, and worked my way up through all the ranks, uh, just like Ray Kelly, who was often on your show. And, um, so why are you why, running why for would DA? I, why, would, why would I do that? Because what's going on right now in this state, I caught the tail end of the last conversation with Ms. Mr. Rosa. I couldn't agree more. We're in a, we are in a potential crisis situation, and the 2019 bail laws, I mean, we're talking about with Judge LaSalle with the situation, which is a complete disgrace. I know Judge LaSalle. I worked with Judge LaSalle before I left my position as the administrative judge in Queens Supreme Court. He is as fair-minded, even-tempered. He is a judge out of central casting. And for 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 the attacks, the scurrilous attacks to be going on with him right now, it's it's just one more piece of evidence of how far the far left is really dictating the New York State legislature, but much worse, than what's going on now is what they did in 2019. They, they, and by the way, signed by Governor Cuomo. I mean, I heard the whole story about Governor Hochul. She should have known this and she could have done that. or maybe it's true. But Governor Cuomo had no business signing that 2019 legislation. It was legislative malpractice. You're not wrong. They rushed it through. They rushed it through a budget process in about three weeks. I can speak firsthand. They, because I was involved in it, I I lived that world. And what did they do? They consulted extensively with with defense advocates and and and, and close advocates. My understanding is an advocate actually wrote the bill for them. They didn't they didn't have, want anything to do with me. Nobody reached out to me
3: or any other judges that I'm aware other, of. Uh, law enforcement they, officials they either. They didn't reach out yeah. to law
7: enforcement. Yeah. They invite the DAs. They didn't re- they didn't reach Sixth out to the judges. Them, judges.
5: District attorneys, we were all ignored. So what do we have now? Like, Richard, it's like cast the penal law off the table now.
7: You're it you is. Know from they, they wrote from it off, to the, off the books. To
5: grand larceny, to commercial burglary, to assault, to drug dealing, to drugs. The, the leverage of the court to deal with all of those issues has been completely destroyed. And, and it's kind of minimized when they talk about it as the bail. It isn't like they just said, well, for some of these offenses, On the first offense, that we they can't, we can't consider which we meaning a judge. And I've done thousands of arraignments.
7: Okay, and Judge Grasso, real quick, why are you running? Tell the people why you're running. I'm
5: running DA in Queens because as a a judge, I could not even speak to this issue, and as a judge, I could not deal with this issue. As a district attorney, the chief law enforcement officer in, in Queens County, I will not only take the issue head on and not. And not dance around the margins as, as the current incumbent is doing. But also I will do everything in my power to make sure that the district attorney is enforcing all the laws to the extent we can. The whole, when did quality of life become a bad thing? The people are going, I was in flushing recently, a couple of weeks ago. I was talking to a security guard at, 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 a, at, a, at, a, at a, at a Nike store. They're, they're stealing by the by the arm I was in a uh, a store on Main Street, a vitamin store. They're coming in, they're stealing the most expensive vitamins, and when the proprietor goes to the bank, they're following her online. George, what's
7: bank. your website? So people
5: turning. George, district, what's your website? My website is Grasso dot com. No spaces. Tonight is a very important night. I've raised a lot of money. My public filing is going to be January 17th, but I'm up against an incumbent who is whose expertise is not so much law enforcement and maintaining safety, but raising money. Up till midnight, anybody who believes in my message and what I'm doing, to go to that website and contribute, and that will be added to my... Grasso, Grasso,
3: G-R-A-S-S-O. Thank you so much, Judge. We'll be right back with Dr. Mikolos.
1: It's a common-sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Breaking news,
4: WABC.
3: Mayor Adams releasing a travel advisory. His office announcing that tomorrow he will be traveling to El Paso, Texas, making multiple stops. Near the U.S. southern border as the New York City continues to face an unprecedented influx of migrants. He will come back to New York City on Sunday. But again, Mayor Adams heading down to the border to El Paso to see the crisis firsthand. Brilliant. Move, and, very and good. I, and
6: I and I bet he's going to meet with migrants, which Biden did not.
3: Right. Those m- migrants, thousands of them, that mysteriously disappeared, disappeared right before Biden together. showed up. He's Do- showing up, Biden. Dr. Mikulos, tell us our latest revelation.
8: Our latest revelation is that there's something called respiratory syncytial virus. That's a leading cause of hospital admission for infants. One in 56 babies in the United States this past year have ended up in the hospital with RSV, which presents with congestion, fever, cough, sore throat, fatigue, and it goes deeper into the lungs. It affects the elderly and the infants, and 2.1 million visits a year to doctors are related to that, and 60,000 admissions to the hospital from RSV. The good news is that today the FDA announced that a new single-dose shot of a monoclonal ready-made antibody called nircevimab is going through fast-tracking through the FDA where you just get the one shot in newborns and up to two years old, and the ones who took it had a 70% less chance of getting RSV. So this is great news in the world of medicine and the uh, monoclonal, Antibodies, and you get direct protection with this ready-made antibody to protect from the RSV and these lower uh, respiratory RSV kills protectors.
3: how many kids a year?
8: Well, it depends. This year we're on track for maybe we might be approaching uh, 15,000.
3: Much more than COVID, so, correct?
8: Well, for, for little kids, yes, yeah, between flu and RSV, because some of them actually have both diagnoses together. But the good news is that American Ingenuity is coming up with solutions. And we want to keep our listeners on WABC. That hopefully will be an option for their children.
6: Thank,
2: well, thank you, Dr. Peter Mihalos. And uh, we'll catch you on the Cats Roundtable with some brilliant news on Sunday. You'll be on between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock on Sunday morning on WABCRadio.com. And thank you for uh, keeping all New Yorkers, all Americans informed. God bless.
3: And what do we stand for? True, true, true. The American America. way. God
2: bless America because. We need God's blessing. Thank you.